Welcome to season two of The Reflection. We started this series in March 2020 after the announcement of the lockdown and COVID-19 began to change the world. For 20 weeks, academics, activists and journalists joined us to discuss everything from the UK government's mishandling of the pandemic, the growth of conspiracies, Black Lives Matter and what it was like to bear witness to the growth of existing local and global inequalities. For this season, our guests will be reflecting on the political climate of the past year and we'll be talking to authors who have released books in 2020 concerning matters of race and class. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society's Reflection Series. We've been recording throughout the summer with previous guests that have already been on the show to talk about what it was like for them, both writing, talking, knowledge production in during the global pandemic, Black Lives Matter uprisings. Today, we're really excited to be joined by our friend and multiple Surviving Society alumni, Aaron Winter, who is Senior Lecturer in Criminology at the University of East London. If you don't know, get to know, but Aaron is also co-editor of Reflexivity in Criminological Research, Historical Perspectives on Organised Crime and Terrorism, and Research in the Far Right, and co-author with Aurelian Munden of Reactionary Democracy. He is co-editor of Identities. Big up that. It's a new one, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And the Manchester University Press series editor of Racism, Resistance and Social Change. Aaron, I'm so glad I got to read all that out. It's a lot. It is a lot. But Aaron's a legend and he's one of these people that like don't big himself up. So Mm. we get to just big you up now. So hello, Aaron. Hi, thank you. Aaron, the last time you were on the show, it was with your right-hand man, Aurelia Munden. Yep. Aurelian's not here today, but Aurelian is going to be on a later show. We are going to return to some of the conversations we had when we recorded in December 2019. Was it it December 2019? Yeah. Wow. Book hadn't come out yet. Mm. We had read snippets from the book, but the book came out. We did the launch review in April. Was it April? Yeah, yeah. It was April 2020. What was it like publishing during... The pandemic. The well, pandemic. And around, yeah, and I mean, we're going to get you to introduce, uh, reintroduce the listeners what reactionary democracy is about. But given everything that you had written about and the themes within the book and then entering this period where we've seen, well, we saw we saw Donald Trump lose the election, but then we've been in a global pandemic, widening inequalities, further mainstreaming at the far right. But what I would say at the end of all that is how everyone's become reactionary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So what, what's this all been like? <laughs> I thought of so many ways of, of, of articulating that. Um, it's been quite surreal. Yeah. It felt a bit, I guess, sort of slow motion car crash of the world. Mm. Um, so many things have happened that I think are relate to issues and arguments and analysis that we had in the book, but also new things have developed and new ways uh, which forms of racism and racism denial have given us many more things to think about that we want to say. But it was very difficult because actually you don't, I think I felt really honored and glad to be part of a dialogue about such serious issues to contribute, if we can, to understanding and navigating these multiple crises. At the same time, it was very odd to have it released as we're all dealing with so much mm-hmm. and wanting to celebrate the book and wanting to launch it. And I think, as, as you know, there was a, a number of launch events online. Me and my co-author have not seen each other in person since, uh, I think, since prior to, the, prior to COVID. And um, 
we haven't had a chance to really talk to people in person a lot, which is, I guess, an interesting thing because in a way we had a much more global opportunities and audience online, mm -hmm. but these are time limited. They don't have discussions that flow to dinner and drinks or whatnot afterwards. As I was kind of pointing to is, is more things have developed. And these are more things that we want to speak to. I think some of the events have set the stage for that, particularly uh, the loss of Trump and uh, the election of Biden as a uh, radical new beginning for the left. <laughs> Laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's depressing. It, it is. It's so yeah. depressing. If you had to pick kind of like two to three or even one um, of the themes or arguments with the book that you feel like you that need to be developed or that are very much speaking to these multiple crises, what would those be? Um, I think, I mean, to start at the sort of beginning of the book, um, the relation between illiberal and liberal racism and something we've discussed at length before, when we set it up, we always argued that there was a blurring of the lines. So liberalism and like and related to democracy can become a guise for and a sort of legitimizing kind of platform for racism and reactionary ideas. But in a sense, when we ended the book, there was a increased bleeding of the boundaries between these. And I think that was significant, not because it destroys the distinction, but because it shows the way in which the li liberal racism can feed into or can lead to, I guess, mainstream racism and embolden both the far right and, I guess, just mainstream racists, if you will, <laughs> um, to become more emboldened. With COVID, we saw, I guess, quite explicit um, sort of eugenics arguments. You saw increasingly fascistic kind of responses, both ideological and in terms of policy and practice, such as policing. And we saw this with the Sarah Everard case. We saw an increased, um, we see this in the US with policing, with racist policing, um, and the January 6th attack, <laughs> insurrection, what you, what you want to call it. And in some ways, I think people have made the argument, and we've seen this again and again, going, well, actually, this reveals that it was all about fascism all along. And I think that we were making an argument that it wasn't always about fascism. And then you get into these debates about what is fascism, and it can be a, quite a deep hole. But where we see the intersection of liberalism and state authoritarianism that is often racist or supports racist ideas without admitting that it is racist. Um, and you see this, for example, with the sort of the HE free speech Confirm the acronym there for listeners, Aaron. Higher education. Oh, higher education. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, higher yeah. education. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the way in which we've had, um, you can have a fascistic siege on the Capitol. You can have police crackdowns on protesters, but you can still have the same governments with the same leaders talking about cancel culture and the need for liberty, freedom to speak. It's liberty and freedom for reactionary ideas and for reactionaries. And you see something similar with the anti-lockdown protests and the way in which far-right conspiracy theories, far-right notions and reaction, just reactionary notions of freedom, liberty, and repression are still, still kind of filtering out, still existing. And so you see this complete coexistence between the two 
liberal and illiberal in a way I don't think I don't think I imagined would be that explicit. There's a few articles I've read that talk about this shift from a neoliberal kind of ideology to an authoritarian capitalist system mm-hmm. and I would say just society that's a th- we've been taught this has been yeah, a theme on the a theme. series yeah, so theme, far yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and so they ha- and how they and like I said they kind of sit next to each other so liberal elements are still held as window dressing so it's yeah. like the hook to get people in so Boris Johnson and all the others will talk about freedom of freedom of the press and woke culture etc but it's that's just window dressing to keep the people calm on that point as well T like when Aaron was explaining like the illiberal and liberal racism mm. like he was a few years ago mm-hmm. to us with Aurelian I think that really was a big turning point for us in how we spoke about racism yeah. on the yeah, show yeah, yeah. because through our lived experiences we witnessed within our everyday lives and had witnessed a lot of illiberal yeah yeah racisms Mm. and sometimes it makes it hard to see the liberal racisms as just as bad if not as threatening off the back of that conversation i understood it like it's the illiberal ones i could deal with because i understood it liberal ones it's the ones that they're the ones that hurt because you didn't really see it yeah yeah yeah. and you're like oh actually like (laughs) you're fucking racist (laughs) Um, do you know what i mean but then as you say like towards Mm. the end of the book you say that like these actually spill out into each other Mm. yeah but then, but I, I'm actually just, I was sat here sort of gobsmacked as you were speaking then. The way you've just spoke about the merging of liberal and liberal racisms, but also how fascism is, is like another element to that that is very normalised now in, in our pandemic times. Yeah. Like to both govern, mm. well, having govern policy, but media. It's the idea of also being locked down, this pandemic, like everyone wants to, def- mm. they want to be by themselves. And that, the World Health the World Health Organization predicted this. They said that with the lockdowns will come, people will start looking inwards and it will become the global fortress and these ideologies will come back. That's really interesting because yeah. in fact what you you had a thesis that was out there yeah. that actually it was all these young men by themselves in their bedrooms that Jordan Peterson and other <laughs> were speaking to. I think I think one of the things is is that we made the argument that that liberal liberalism and liberal racism enabled a kind of mainstreaming and increasing acceptance of certain forms of racism. Mm-hmm. Now, in a sense, it's offset against the illiberal extremist, et cetera, but it also emboldened the, the, those more illiberal extreme racists and organiza- racist organizations. At the same time, that doesn't mean that the liberal goes away. Mm-hmm. That that actually it doesn't they don't merge or they don't merge absolutely. You can still see this operation where they can coexist. I mean, you can see the way in which, for example, um, and it's something I've been thinking a lot about about Biden's spe- statement and the media's response post January sixth. And the way it's like, this is not America. This is a fringe. This is this. And, you know, this is so exceptional. So it is, just to, just for the listeners, yeah. Aaron, so in the speech, Biden was referring to the, the Trump in, presidency. No, he was referring specifically to the January 6th ins- uh, insurrection, insurrection, which he called. Fine. Yeah. Sorry, I'll, I should, I should uh, contextualize. Um, but he was obviously implicating Trump. But by implicating Trump, you're showing this is not so exceptional. And in fact, are you making an argument that Trump is so exceptional? But then if you look at the history of America, and I don't just mean 
the fact that you have a far right in its history. You have far right insurrectionists. You have fascists marching on Washington in the 20s. You have Jim Crow as the law of part of the land. It seems strange to say this type of racist or racialized violence is somehow unique in American history. And then you can, you can take that even further. You can say the entire foundation of America is like colonial white settler genocide and slavery. Mm-hmm. So what is so exceptional about this kind of fascist clown show? Mm-hmm. I mean, and not to say that it wasn't dangerous and horrible, but the idea that reactionaries and extremists are taking over the levers of power. Well, it may just be that in the previous era, they were just the senators and congressmen who oversaw these laws, oversaw Chinese Exclusion Act and mm-hmm. these kind of things. At the same time, you had, you had and for, for a bit of continuity, you had Trump overseeing the Muslim ban, the, the separation of parents and children um, at the border. Um, like, the idea that somehow what happened at the Capitol was somehow this fringe element I mean, let's say it was a fringe element, but it, it trades on a history that is may actually be far worse. Mm-hmm. But that at the same time, um, you know, this is the threat. Well, the, the threat has been elected time and time again. The threat is the mainstreaming of these ideas in the media. That's the threat. And the idea that you can get rid of them by legislating against domestic terrorism, which is not actually a, a federal crime. Mm-hmm. Um which is the, the, the crime is actually like, you know, international terrorism, which is always not nationalist and white supremacist, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and they've got a new national strategy that's going to supposed to deal with this. But at the same time, it just it increases the security state, which we know has been set up to target Muslims mm-hmm. and has been over the past number of years targeting Antifa, Black Lives Matters, um, that whole category, so-called black identity extremists. So wh- how, is this, how is this new strategy and this emboldening and increasing of the security state and law enforcement going to solve the problem of racism or extremism, particularly if it's not treating racism as the problem? And that, no, sorry, not just racism, but white privilege as well, because as we know, what ha- and this is linked to the issue of criminalization, are we going to trust the police who uh, who policed the January 6th attack in that radically different way to the way they policed Black Lives Matter protests. How do you argue against yourself effectively? Because mm-hmm. there are elements to it, right? So uh, close to home, when we had the, at the end of the football and you have all those riots and there's, there's no police. Yeah. The police are nowhere to be seen. But at Sarah Everard Vigil, the police are heavy handed. They're in presence, they're, they're in numbers. Yep. And... And I don't really like using the term anymore, whiteness. It's so amorphous. It's so large and complex and nuanced. How do we separate in a meaningful scientific way to make sense of this? The illiberal racism bleeds into liberal racism and it, they kind of, they're relational too. Sometimes they're separate. I hear what you're saying, T. Like you want to find a, cat, you want to find a category. Mm. And when Aaron was talking then, I'm like, okay, 
the way some people would make sense of what Aaron's saying is they would say it's about capitalism. It seems too... That, that's not, I, don't, I think that don't, it's not adequate enough. Man. It's not adequate enough, is it? Because do, do you see what I mean? So I'm thinking mm. about like, I'm, I'm also thinking about racism. I feel like on this podcast, we're possibly a little bit more sympathetic to like Satnam's arguments mm. about racisms and like the racialized outside or that type of thing. But equally, I do get how you're talking about the, the 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 state department and who they're targeting, like how the increase in surveillance targets um, marginalised people that are just trying to make life better for people on the margins. But like, how can we find a way to understand this that is that is fluid, but also deals with these these labels? So deals with whiteness, deals with capitalism, deals with racisms. I guess I'm kind of critiquing our disciplines to an extent because some people will just say the simple argument or not the simple argument it's very complex and sophisticated and brilliant work on this stuff will say like well it's about racial capitalism like this is what it's about but it's it just it seems to it, it seems like so much more than that when you see how much money of these things are multiple crises as you say yeah, no, absolutely. And also the way people experience them isn't in relation. Exactly, yeah. Isn't necessarily into relation to capital. I mean, it, it, yeah. they, you experience it in so many multiple ways. I mean, the it's interesting. The And I'm very sympathetic to Satnam's arguments, as, course, as yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. One example of the sort of liberal and illiberal, it's not just the state being brutal. Sometimes the state can be authoritarian in the name of liberalism, right? So we see this with the with the higher education free speech bill. We see this also in the case of France with the increased restrictions, bans on religious symbols, which target Muslim women. You see this kind of state authoritarianism that actually it affects women at the beach. It affects young women going to school. It also affects people in their places of employment. And is another form, like the recent European um, Court of Justice ruling about employers having the right to ban these symbols, again, which disproportionately targets Muslim women. And you see something similar in Quebec, in Canada. I always want to get some Canada in there. Because yeah. um, <laughs> I don't often. It's, it's weird. Uh, people have remarked on that. Um, the, it makes me think that you can make an argument about capitalism if you enter it through the point of the, almost this kind of this deregulation or this this opening up of the rights of employers. Now, the rights of employers are now synced with the rights of the state mm. to do this. And the state, let's be honest, keeps on giving itself more rights. Mm. But it doesn't have to be reducible to that. Mm. At the, so I guess my question would be, and I was thinking about this when, it, when, when, when the ruling um, was being discussed, is that, does that mean are the sort of reactionary bros that are always writing about kind of like, the people have a right to be racist, the people have a right to, to have opinions about, you know, and, you know, enough stuff with immigration. Are they getting a two-for by getting, they get the racism and the employer's rights? <laughs> or yeah. were these always the same thing for them? And I think it depends. It depends yeah. who you're speaking about. I don't want to, I may reduce things like, my focus is on racism. Mm -hmm. My focus is, is on the relationship between, you know, right-wing discourses, narratives, policies, practices, and racism. I mean, the part, the right, the right is, is obviously race and racism serve a function mm -hmm. for the type of state they want often mm -hmm. and the type of capitalism they want. 
or the type of economic system they want. So these are never far apart. But I think that sometimes, and I remember having this argument like way back when I was a PhD student about like, am I going to tell the story of the changing faces of racism or am I going to tell the story of the changing faces of capitalism? Well, these intersect inevitably, but, but the story I'm telling is focused on the racism, even when it is a bunch of bros talking on like <laughs> online or, um, and look, I'm fascinated by reactionary entrepreneurship. Like there's no, there's no doubt that these people are making a bundle out of this. It's a particular business model and their aim may actually be the deregulation of the economy and free market. I mean, they're libertarianism. So the liberalism may sometimes be libertarianism, but at the same time, they also want to be racist. Yeah. Do these people believe in what they're saying or is it just a grift? And I think that's partly what I was pointing to at yeah, the yeah, end, yeah. which yeah, is yeah. That, that, that they, yes, they're capitalists, but they also want to be racism, racist. Mm. They like, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're, and look, I, I think, I always think of this when I, I sort of, um, when you're thinking about, or is this just an act, right? Mm. So there's that old idea going like, I, I said all these horrible racist things. I was drunk. Like you pull that from a repertoire. You mm -hmm. have a reserve. You have, you, you have ideas. You know what to say. Like it's weird that you can, you can be so drunk that you don't realize you're being racist, but your articulation of particular racist discourses, <laughs> I think is so it's, you know, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. The amount of, the amount of middle-class white men that have had to apologize to me for being racist when they're drunk. Like, it's yeah. actually insane. Like, and I look back on it and I wish I'd come back with much more kind of like... <laughs> snappy, one-liners. Snappy, like, one-liners. <laughs> like, oh, like the reservoir. Oh, no, you just pulled it from your res reservoir. Yeah. But yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Like, that come... We have to... We have to understand that this is something that people do invest in, like, within uh, how they think. Absolutely. But at the same time, right? So let's say... Let's put the res reservoir argument aside. <laughs> You have to be comfortable enough to say racist things that will hurt people, that will motivate other people to hurt people and will hurt those people at the sharp end of it when you speak it. That's racist. Doesn't matter if you think, oh, I'm just doing it for the money. Mm. I mean, you're doing it. You think it's acceptable. You, to, to think it's acceptable, you have to slightly dehumanize the people on the receiving end. You know, Aaron, I'm so glad you said this because I feel like um, listeners have heard me over the past like few years and whatever, like always trying to like rationalize in my head, like why do they do this even though they know that this is going to or could cause harm to one person, lots of people? Do you know what I mean? Like it is about, it, I think a lot of it is to do with money, but it is also like what Aaron says, like it's dehumanizing. So it's like, yeah. right, actually, these people aren't human enough. Mm -hmm. So that means that I'm going to say this shit on whatever YouTube channel it is about them that's going to get so many views. Like it is a that kind of decision that you make. It is like that yeah. this person is of less value. So I will say this thing, even though I know that it motivates other people to do harmful things. Well, this, this is what the I've liberals motivate the li liberals to but do harmful things. It's like those right wing pundits like Jesse Lee Patterson and stuff like that. They black federal black guys or black people that say that say clearly racist stuff. Mm. And it's very harmful. And you're, you're trying to think through like what motivates you knowing, given that you're black yourself, that you probably experienced this yourself. What motivates you to say these things, not once, 
on a regular basis. We'll go back to the sewer report. Yeah. Like, what mm. motivates this collection of black people and people of colour to say this shit yeah. that is completely, like, just shits on, like, so much, so many years of activism, of scholarship? Mm. Like, what is that? I mean, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it's a big one. It's a big one. But honestly, we sit Tell there like the answer now. Sit, honestly, Aaron, you, like the listeners will know. We sit there every day, and we're like, why? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I guess is if I just take a step back, yeah, to come on, back step, step, to step it. Back. Always, always step because back. Because I just the relationship between racism and economics, right? Fine. Um, I'm going to come back to that, but I, it's a sort of roundabout way because I think it, I think it's illustrative. The argument that it is, and we talk about this in the book, about, about the construction of the white working class as both as the voice of the people, democracy, but always for reactionary racist ideas, is a classist idea. It's part of a divide and rule process that is racist, that serves capital. It does not serve working class people. And not just because it treats the working class as only white. It doesn't treat... It doesn't address class inequality, even though to those people who they see as working class or even only white. But the fact that, or for example, all the racism on the back of austerity is it's a distraction from inequality, from structural inequality, from elite policies and practices which entrench and further entrench inequality. The fact that, um, you know, the fact that they can throw that racism out and they can sacrifice people to it in different ways to it, again, um, sort of might point to something in the way they conceive of, the right conceives of people voting against their own interests. So if they're treating the, the let's, let's talk about this construction of the white working class. If they're treating this group as working class, as victims of capitalist inequality, but they don't care anything about that inequality and they advocate further entrenched capitalism that will further, or, or the capitalism that will entrench that inequality, then what do they think these people's interests are? Well, they're trying to make it about whiteness. So wouldn't it be possible that on the right, they, the, the people who you're talking about can also subdivide their own interests mm-hmm. or have interests which are contradictory? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I struggle with it myself because, and I think this is probably not the time to discuss it, but like the way in which sort of I see sort of fellow Jewish um, sort of... Mm talking heads, I mean, we spoke about one earlier, um, reactionaries who can treat someone who intermarries or who who is anti-Zionist as walking toward, walking us all towards a second Holocaust, <laughs> but sees no problem being in bed with people who actually deny the Holocaust because it's free speech mm-hmm. or, um, you know, white supremacists who, you know, support... Not Israel necessarily, but all Jews going there. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, and and I mean that's the whole thing to un- unpack. I mean, people do vote or support or express ideas that are against their interests, but I think the right is very much in tune with that. And you can have people who that's their business model. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But their business model also comes from, or career model, you know, why, why would the right think that, you know, employment, success and status and money is against their better interest? Well, you can sacrifice yourself and your whole community or, you know, your family's history for it. Mm-hmm. And so if they think, if they think the white working class, I'm air quotes, um, will do that, why wouldn't they do it themselves? Maybe mm-hmm. they really believe whiteness is what's at stake. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably do. Mm-hmm. And that makes it more than a business model. That makes it just like, I mean, that makes it racism. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it, so powerful. It's powerful. It? It's like, such, it, honestly, like Aaron, you're, you must just sit, you just must, you just must sit at home, <laughs> like just crafting this in your head. Like, you, like it's just so, it's clear to me now hearing but, that but, there's multiple things can exist at once. Mm-hmm. And that if you're on the right and if you are, a quote-unquote traditionally marginalised person on the right, a.k.a. a black Tory, um, then you can have multiple, not just allegiances, but but contradictory ideas about society. And I guess getting our head around that is what is always really difficult. But I think Aaron's analysis there is really just sharp. When we, as academics, what we tend to always leave out is the emotion side. So empathy comes into it. So if you can run these calculations, what happens to the human size of empathy, understanding, and where do these go? Because, you know, as a human being... But, that, but, this, is, but this is what mm. we've been coming to terms with. Since the election, mm. 2019, we have been coming to terms with the end of that, effectively. But also, what Aaron just said, it's about racisms. Mm-hmm. So... We get we had the conversation with Dan after mm-hmm. after the election. He was like, "The thing is, we can chop and change around all these different things of why this happened, why did Corbyn lose, etc." But ultimately, we don't want to stand by a ideology or a narrative that says Fatima shouldn't get the NHS yeah, yeah. because yeah. this quote unquote white mm-hmm. English person isn't get do you know what I mean shouldn't, yeah, yeah, shouldn't no. get it yeah, yeah. even though the white English you know, so yeah. it's not for all of us yeah. and what is that what are those dividing lines and it, possibly like racism it's, it's, yeah it, it can also change I and mean it we, can saw, change, yeah. we saw this with the Euros we yeah. saw this with the way in which a, a sort of hyper masculine over identification would lead people to support a team that, that with so many black players that they would then turn on so viciously. And I mean, we, we all know the history mm-hmm. of the, the sort of the, the use value of um, black sportsmen, of black sportsmen. Yeah. Yeah. and musicians. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, we look, we saw this with, with London 2012, the way in which, and I, I come back to this because I worked on, a, I worked on this years ago, um, uh, at the way in which it was sold as simultaneously multicultural, diverse East London and an antidote to 7-7 and the, you know, the, and then later on the riots and or the, the response to sort of what they called riots. Um, and then you can have, I don't know if you've seen this, but the writings of, sort of Boris Johnson on Mo Farah. No, it is unbelievable. Say. It's like, you know, you go into his house and he 
he cooks up an English breakfast like the best of them and bangers and mash. And this is like, it was unbelievable. I was waiting for him to say, and then a bulldog with a flag came out of his bedroom. <laughs> like it was just, the, it was the most bizarre thing. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, they can, you, you can, they can gloss over anything if it supports something they identify closely with which is often the nation mm. however yeah. just coming back to your point slightly mm. contradicting that your point about um serving white working class interests yeah so a load of white kids black kids brown kids and whatever were hungry last year so marcus rashford twice managed to <laughs> sort that out to an extent you the people that a lot of the people that sort of peddle the white working class left behind shit told him to stop being political. Absolutely. So how, like, do you know what I mean? Like, how do we... So you said, so I gave the example of the 2019 election and you said it changes, think about the football. But then I'm like coming back to the point of Marcus Rashford, like, actually, is that just still consistent? Well, no, but that's because I think, I think there are certain decisions or calculations made Fine. and what matters at different times. What if if I can win, I can ignore this, but I'm also waiting for them to screw up. Fine. Or I mean that that in their in their yeah, yeah. kind of words and but but I think I think the the idea is is that the over identification with the nation means that this team is representing us. So to support the team is also linked to that yeah. and there's also um but how is not yeah. how is not feeding our kids linked to the next like it's not it's not nationalist well in this in is it too empathetic is it too compassionate as he so was saying but i think that's what i that's partly what i was thinking of was is the idea of what do you care about mm -hmm. and the reason the reason i mentioned that sorry there was a bit of a diversion but mm -hmm. what i was thinking about is when i hear emotion used and I think this is in political analysis and often sociological analysis in the fields I work in. Mm -hmm. It's to excuse something. Mm. Well, of course they're angry. Of course, and it's often legitimizing. So it becomes this kind of the, the, the suture or the, the kind of the, the glue that binds and justifies and fills in the cracks of basically ideological I get no, I get what you're saying. Stuff. And what's yeah. interesting about so Tiso was using it to say, uh, but we're talking about well, in my example, we're talking about migrants, yeah. and we're talking about people that have lived here for a long time. Like the idea of sharing a health service with them, you don't want to serve, you don't want to share share it with them. You'd rather it's privatized. That's kind yeah. of one yeah. of the like like very kind of basic analysis that I have from the election. And yeah. he's saying, was that the it's the end of compassion at the end of emotion well that's really really important because actually if you think about why don't they care about these kids well they didn't care about those kids when they chose racist nationalism and euroscepticism over a criticize at the very least critiquing the tories posterity policy and if you remember and this this i think this is something that kind of your wording triggered this in my head is that austerity followed compassion and conservatism conservatism um that basically what had done is is the originally the the idea under under cameron was a shrinking of the state and offsetting it to churches 
charities, I don't know, mm. athletes who want to raise money. Do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm not making that connection literally. But actually, at a certain point, when the, when the economic crisis hit, it was like anything goes. Cut, cut, cut. And if people are still willing to vote Tory, when their communities, their livelihoods, their children and their friends' children and parents and ill relatives and friends could be sacrificed in such a way, why would they care? That's why they have to hate this, mm -hmm. in a sense. Now, then it becomes, and I think almost in principle, because, I, I mean, look, they're voting for the end of the NHS, effectively. Mm -hmm. So why someone being political, being political, mm -hmm. I, I love this. I mean, like... I oh, know. When yeah. everyone says, oh, you make it political. Oh, because, because <laughs> sports in the name of nation has famously <laughs> apolitical. <laughs> I said that to someone over there. Oh, you're so, it's dumb. Go on. I mean, it's just like I, they would, there was all this. Read oh, a book. Oh, yeah. Read a book. Oh, I don't. No, no, no. I mean, even this. I don't know. Wave a flag. Yeah. <laughs> no, just wave a flag and evoke the war because that's that's completely that's totally it's not, apolitical. It's not political. Yeah. Yeah. It's no. It's not. It's just one side of. It's the same thing as a free speech debate. Yeah. It's the saying. It's the saying. I mean, and these occur because you've you've naturalized and neutralized right wing reactionary patriotic ideas. It's the same reason why Captain Tom is a hero and R Rashford's a problem. Yeah. That's a mic drop for yes, Aaron there. Again, like every time we speak to you, Aaron, it does, it really does, it almost feels therapeutic to kind of make sense of how how things are and where the contradictions come from. Because I think it is the contradictions that we just find mm -hmm. so jarring. And like, just be consistent. Tell us who you are. Like This is what I've kind of noticed with this, this new phase we're in, if you, if you would call it that, where... It's context-driven almost. So just as, like I was saying to you earlier, as I was traveling through London on the, on the night of the, on the final of the football, yeah. during the day, everyone was my friend. But in the evening, yeah, I, people wanted to kill me. Mm. It just, and nothing had, so it's the fact that it was all kind of context-driven. They were willing to forego the racism if we won. However, we lost, so I'm going to give you the racism that was always there. But how, how many Absolutely. weeks? It would be. I yeah. think. I think if England had won, it would have been the same as like what we've spoken about on this series as as, as well. Like when the Black Lives Matter uprising started mm. last June, like every day we were saying to each other, "The Black Lives still matter. The Black Lives still matter." And they did, and they did, and then one day they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. do you know what I mean? So it was like I think that would what would yeah. happen with the football. But it's interesting you just said about context here, because what I was thinking is how context helps the right mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is the way they are able to separate capitol hill from what happened after <laughs> the football yeah as, as in two yeah. separate things yeah no absolutely it's it's everything is a moment everything is a everything i, I mean we're guilty of doing this on yeah. the show everything is a moment everything is an incident but it's all related isn't it yeah, and, and look, I mean, I think that you have some continuities. You have things that occur that enable others. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's I mean, what I mean. I think that's what I mean. Things that occur that enable others. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I wonder, and I don't like to, yeah, I guess I don't like to speculate, but I also worry sometimes, and this is something I was very conscious of when I was coming here, about the idea of like, 
what happens and what am I going to say? What, what do I say about it? Because I actually, I don't want every terrible thing to be an opportunity to go, well, I have a theory. Mm. And I think there's a lot too much of that. There felt like there was such a long development of mainstreaming racism in the far right and such a level of acceptability that when that match ended, I mean, I know how I felt. Mm -hmm. I know how I felt what was coming or what I thought was coming. And I mean, it, it, it just felt like, and, and I wonder, because I know people on the sharp end of that have expressed how they felt at that moment and then what they experienced. And if you think about the way in which that context fuels racists, that actually, it, for me, it felt like some kind of angry celebration. It was an, you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to project sort of feelings. No, that, no, but like, no. I hear but, what you're saying. But like, if they like, won, see, they got their nationalism. If they won, they got the nationalism. If they lose, they get their racism. Racism, absolutely. Uh, that's how I. That's how I felt. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, and not that's to a, say that nationalism didn't come with racism. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. And, and don't yeah, also yeah. like. I think it's really interesting what you said about come, being nervous about coming on the show and not wanting to give any grand theory. We don't give. In, I don't think we give any grand theory. Or like, this is why we need for these times of multiple crises, like dialogical knowledge production. We yeah. need like com like we need conversation like this to, yeah. to sort of. Do you know what I mean? So I Absolutely. don't think. I would hope that listeners don't ever think yeah. we think we. Oh sort of, no, I didn't yeah. mean it about no, the I know, show. I, I know you didn't. Me. No, yeah, no, 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 yeah, I know yeah, you did. not But it's yeah. interesting that, like, as academics, we feel like we need to when we're saying something, it has to be something profound or something that is gonna that I, people can then pick apart and then be like, oh, what's wrong with that theory? Just things you sit at home thinking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I also felt this after after um, like in the wake of George Floyd's yeah. murder and. And the protests. I mean, what did I? What did I feel? I had just written a book about racism in the far right. I'm a criminologist, mm -hmm. and I didn't feel I, like I really didn't feel like that was the time for my voice. It was mm -hmm. time for my solidarity and allyship. Um, and I think I felt a bit quiet at that moment mm -hmm. because I, I think it was it was a different moment. Yeah, we were traumatized. Yeah, fully. I, like we just couldn't speak. I but, just couldn't speak. But I think now, too... I think people are trying to work out what this all means now. Yeah, given, yeah, yeah. The, given that there, there being there's a kind of forensic, in air quotes, analysis of what happened on January the sixth, in on, in uh, mm. in Congress, given the what happened after football, people are trying to make sense of what's all, all this that's happened. So the the reaction to it, but also what's gone before. So it's there's, there's a sense that people want to explain away what's happening. Do you on January sixth? So obviously, T so it means he's been talking about this stuff for years now. <laughs> mm -hmm. January sixth, I couldn't get hold of him. <laughs> you were asleep, weren't you? And I was no, like, Tiso, no, no. where are you? Where are you? I didn't know it was thing, followed by he was asleep. The thing that's happening that you said was going to happen is happening. And I remember thinking, I need to go on Aaron's Twitter and see what Aaron's saying. I don't think you had said anything no, yet. I didn't. You didn't say anything. And I was like, I, I need to know what's happening. Look, I, can, I, can I just say something? Like, I've... um. You say about things are happening, and now mm. we're trying to figure out what's going yeah. on. I'm, I have slightly the opposite reaction. Yeah. I'm like, we're on a, we're on a bullet train here. <laughs> yeah, we are fully. And fully. Look, I hate to say it, but like I'm thinking with Snowpiercer, like it's going really fast. The apocalypse is occurring outside, <laughs> and we're trying to get to the front. And you know, only war, like we're going to get a lot revealed when we get to the front. <laughs> so don't, don't stop in this carriage now. Yeah. Analysis. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I was deadly quiet. Yeah, and no, I, I was actually, like, what's Aaron and Aurelian saying? What's what they saying? <laughs> I was quiet. I wrote, I wrote a very, 
I wrote a four thousand word blog piece that I I've never published. Oh, what? <laughs> um, because because I just felt that everyone was coming out with their two cents. Like it was mm. like hot takes, and I figure like I may use it at some of the ideas at some point. But mm. in fact, one of the things I that some of the stuff I was saying about policing in that I think my view after the testimony the past couple of days, mm. particularly from from black police officers, changes what I say. I think I have, I think there's more interesting and nuanced things to say about that. Got in quite a few arguments a couple of days before because a lot of academics were posting these things like you know, fascism is on the rise. There's going to be like a, a disaster when, when, if Trump loses. I knew there was going to be a reaction, mm. but I didn't, I, I firmly believed that you don't fuel that kind of speculation, particularly when people who are often at the sharp end of that still have to go to the voting booth. Mm. I thought it was really important. And you know what? I mean, people wrote things about fascism, takeover, all this kind of stuff. They may claim they were right, but I still claim that it was wrong to do it. Mm. I, th I don't think we're, I mean, maybe some people are speculative kind of theorists, but um, I think we have to be very careful what we put out there. And I've become increasingly concerned about this in the same way as like we were talking about Twitter before. Mm -hmm. I, I'm questioning the idea of going, having all these gotcha moments because some reactionary bro kind of like says something racist again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Like, and I do think that there's a certain, it's like, okay, yeah, this is like some liberal centrist that's saying something which is offensive like yeah we know like do you know what i mean the, the yeah. gotchas in the quote quotations yeah. are getting a bit tired now i get it because you want to see people that have got large platforms sort of speaking out against this stuff mm. but equally like what is this leading to for me they're just they're just words i, I we navigate around them that like, i don't really pay them attention anymore like i am I would want some more substantive issues to be taken care of. Like, we know what mm. the issues are, right? If someone's saying something racist again, like, so all the stuff in football, the outpouring at the football, that, that didn't, that's not what I got upset over. It, it was the kind of liberal acceptance, like, oh, they're shocked. Like, shit. Yeah. There's, there's, that's what upset me, not the person being racist. But do you think that's why, like, GB News is failing? Because me and T, we were not, we were, yeah, so yeah. me and T had a bit of a debate about this. I said yeah, it would fail. Yeah, Chantel was right on this one, man. And T said, no, I, they're in it. I, I, thought, I thought the moment was right, but all like all the kind of right-wing crazy people yeah. I'd see on, um, on YouTube, all the comments, this is like their thing. This is like a, a whole channel yeah. dedicated to and them. They had the money, and to be fair on you, they got all the money. The money, and they had the mainstream platform on Sky, on Freeview. I was thinking, they've got it sewn up. They have that like historical seventies TV look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I said, oh, no, but I was saying, see, the money is just not enough. It's the money isn't enough, and all those things weren't enough. And I guess it comes back to the arguments made in um, the book, Aaron, that actually, like, it's so mainstream now. Yeah. Like, it's just almost not needed. It's almost not needed. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I I know this is slightly. You mentioned the football, yeah. and it just got me thinking about how how Spike tried to make that racism about the working class and it didn't, mm. it, it didn't, didn't cut it. No, it because didn't. everyone knows it's middle class, elites. Like, that go to the foot, the football, the but, tickets to the final cost but, like between 500 pounds and 1,000 pounds. Like Yeah, but also no one thinks racism is just exclusive anymore. That myth is burst. Yeah, 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 that's true. I mean, but, true. And, and I say, that, I'm, the reason I raised that was partly a response to it 
where you said TSO, but also the fact that this segues into the, G- GP, the news. GP News, was like, I mean, you can't, I mean, these guys constructed this idea that we have nowhere else to speak. <laughs> Oh my, you know, like we're 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 lost. We're gonna start our own multi-million pound platform, and you know what? We're gonna get support and airtime from every right-wing newspaper. I mean, like, I mean, just call bullshit on it. Yeah. I love that. We've got nowhere else to go. I think it was what's his name, Nigel Bigger. Bigger yeah. He was on it the other day, like talking about being cancelled. And it's like the professor of like a most elite institution in the world is it's is just, talking about being cancelled it's nonsense and i think you combine that with the fact that like gb news is making an argument as if they're in the cancelled margins or the soon to be cancelled margins and there's other narratives which are dodgy as anything but kind of make sense to people this doesn't work as much anymore, but there, I think you have another two things going on. One is it's just crap. I mean, it's just <laughs> really but then, badly but then done. Made a really Why good call argument. it news? Team made a really good argument yeah. that that was part of their that, brand. It like because there was like there's like loads of spelling right. mistakes on the things and stuff. So and like I was I- like, what? To give the idea that they are like a DIY blogger. So it's similar to you think so? Because they they done it. In, so if you went to their YouTube channel, they've done lots of clips snippets. Yeah. And it was presented in a similar fashion to what you would see a, a normal, DIY, a DIY right, political yeah. commentator on, on, on YouTube. Yeah. So it was very effective. So when you saw it on your phone, on your small screen, it didn't look too dissimilar to those, those, those platforms, even yeah. though there's, loads, there's millions, multi-millions behind it. Yeah, but I also think, and I think this is the, more, the argument I'm more convinced by, or the analysis I'm more convinced by, is that actually... Um, the power, the, the, the ability to mainstream racism reaction and the far right was always something that was enabled by the liberal media, mm-hmm. liberal mainstream press. Why, when they had won that, they had succeeded. That was the business model that was winning. Why would you leave all that and go, we're going to have a scrappy multi-million pound <laughs> upstart? I mean, you've, you, you're actually... You're actually tr- almost, you're rejecting the liberal mainstream, which I know that's always been part of the narrative, but you, they were on it while doing it. Mm-hmm. And they were getting the airtime. I don't know that the audience, I mean, I don't know what audience they want. Do they want everyone to abandon like the mainstream liberal centrist center-right media? Mm-hmm. Um, let's not say the center-right, but the the, you know, they were winning the argument on their own terms there. Maybe that had something to do with its success. And I think that's partly what we argue mm. in the book. Because um, you, you've already got the scrappy upstarts on YouTube and on various mm. social media outlets and platforms. You've got spiked. You've got this. You've got that. Why was something else needed unless you're com- trying to compete with, I don't know, the BBC? I think what makes GB News not work was they tried to carve out a niche similar to Fox has carved out in the States. Yeah. Which doesn't work in the UK context, right? But they saw how effective Fox is and how Fox has generated copycats. So I think GB News saw Fox and the success that they have and how they've galvanized a whole group of people that will follow them cult-like. But, then, yeah. but those people, I guess, coming back to Aaron's argument, I don't disagree with what mm, you're saying, mm. T, but basically that has already been done. Mm. it's also not just context it's also they come about going well how many decades down the line well let's try it mm. right like the times have moved on the way you you develop and filter and ferment 
kind of reaction has changed partly under the influence of Fox, mm-hmm. not just in America. I mean, again, with the circulation of white victim narratives mm-hmm. or conspiracy theories or ideas about the liberal elite, mm-hmm. you know, which, which, you know, they could have piggybacked Fox. They didn't need to start their own Fox, you know, how many decades yeah, down yeah. the line. I don't think, I think the model didn't work, not just because mm-hmm. it's not America, but actually they're coming, they're trying to do something that was part of a particular historical juncture mm-hmm. and set of conditions and trying to do it again. But the culture wars are on. Mm-hmm. You don't need to start the culture wars on a new channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good way of saying it. It's a good it. internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's, we're in it. Yeah, yeah, we're in it. We're in it. And you it's win it. You're winning. Account. You're winning. <laughs> you're winning. You're winning on the BBC. Yeah. You're winning on ITV. You're winning on Sky News. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. And, 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 and again, what you're saying is, is that they start this. You've still got all the mainstream liberal centrist media giving, mocking them, but giving them a airtime mm-hmm. and embracing all the government's policies in terms of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's not as if reaction needs a new outlet. Yeah. Um, and I do think that they, they're, they're aesthetic. And as you said, they're kind of the, the, the <laughs> um, does, does probably try to construct themselves an upstart, but you, they can't, you can't, it doesn't, I'm not sure it works this late in the game. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. That does make sense. I could be wrong, but I, I'm, that's just, that's my feeling. Um, because as we stand, we still have um, we still have the centrist liberal media justifying a lot of policies, practices. We see we see from from Minerillion's like earlier work. I mean, liberal Islamophobia is uh, charging through the courts the of justice. Again. It's on the rise. It's yeah, on the rise yeah. Oh, on that note, <laughs> listeners, listeners, you know, you know, it is always good when Aaron <laughs> comes on, but you know, you're not necessarily going to get the hope. You're not necessarily going to, although, can we just do one finish, George? Yeah, can we just I was do one? for the hope. Yeah, can we do one hope? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? If, if, where where yeah. are we seeing some, where are we seeing some solidarities forming, do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Right, that listen, was... That's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> no, I look, I. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think I think it happens because of discussions like this. Yeah, I think I think that the the hope is in. I think I said this earlier. As difficult as it was to say the things we were saying, to have the book out at that time, to kind of experience and witness what's been going on, the fact that we belong to a community that is talking back, that is exposing and revealing these kind of narratives, discourses, policies, and practices is really important. It's important to protest it. And I think that the the government knows that. And I think that's why the crackdown on protests. We have to stand up to it. We have to call it. But we also have to stop, I think, stop calling out each other on every little thing. And yeah. parsing every statement yeah. and not do not perform the divide and rule or enable the divide and rule that they they want, that they feed off of. I mean, you can have on the on the on on the reactionary side, you can have like like religious conservative Christians, white supremacists, religious Jewish people, um, you can have, you know, um, Former Muslims who 
turn against. You can have libertarians. Um, they can come together because they, they, they have, despite their differences. And I'm not saying we need to be like them, but I think we need to show kindness and solidarity with each other. And we need to fight it as a, as united a front as possible. And that doesn't mean giving up the arguments. This doesn't, this isn't the old days of saying, well, yeah, well, we'll let this guy lead and we'll call, you know, our identities reified. You know, it's not that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think, I, I mean, I have a lot of hope from discussions like this, from the books I'm reading, from the podcasts I'm hearing, from the people I'm um, meeting and um, working with. And I think that's really important because I don't think this is forever. And I do think that we, I think uh, the last thing really important is we can't have false hope in centrists and liberals that they're going to simultaneously um, fight systemic racism while increasing the security and policing state. Mm -hmm. Because that's not what's going to happen. And this is the big question, the big issue up against in pandemic times, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Aaron, thank you so much for that. Smacked it. So sick. Smacked it. Come so off Twitter. It's, it's all talk. It's come off social media. Yeah, well, let's all talk. Let's all talk. <laughs> you know, I'm going to check it right after I go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you again next week. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the T's and C's with T's and Chantel. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram.